Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to invite you, please, to remember with me this year that it's the single answer to the single greatest number of needs, and we're going to keep doing it, and that is to pointing all eyes on Jesus. We're going to keep saying that. We're going to keep reminding one another of that, that we're going to find answers to life's problems. We're going to find that hope lives here when we focus all eyes on Jesus. People who flocked to see and to hear Jesus had some kind of interest in this man. They wanted to understand him. He had something to say. How might he add to their life? If they chose to listen to him, what would that look like if they began to shape their lives based on what he was saying? And I want to tell you this morning that you need to have that answered for you as well. Whether you have borne the family name of Jesus for years, or whether this is something that you're just beginning to look into, Jesus didn't leave you the option to look into him and then respond casually. He never invited someone to spend a day with him and then just go away from that acting like nothing happened. That's why the I am statements that we're looking at over these next few weeks are so important. They're all found in the book of John. John had a way of saving those for us, and I encourage you to get your Bible out and turn to that. Book of John. Jesus makes it very hard to slough off these statements that he makes that begin with those words, I am. And that's true of what we're looking at today, chapter 8 and chapter 9 of John. We're going to start in John chapter 8, and I'd like to begin reading there in verse 12. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Sometime from the early 1600s to about the end of the 1700s, there was a period in history, in Europe especially, that is commonly referred to as the age of, have you ever heard it? Enlightenment. The age of enlightenment. Science was progressing. People were elevating human reason. The role of church in society was being largely questioned. And the names of several philosophers, scientists, and leaders are credited with adding to this time of enlightenment. People like Francis Bacon, Rene Descartes, Immanuel Kant, Voltaire, John Locke, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, David Hume, Isaac Newton, whole list of names of, you look them up, people that were really important to the age of enlightenment. But, but I noticed this, that not one of them ever stepped forward and said, I am the light of the world. 
None of them said, if you'll follow me, you'll have the light of life. Jesus did. Both literally and figuratively, the role of light in our lives is significant. I want you to know that this morning, that loving Jesus includes loving what light does to yourself and to the world. That's the walkout this morning, okay? Take that with you. Loving Jesus includes loving what light does to yourself and to the world. Over the years, over the centuries, a lot of smart people have studied light. Somehow, they measured how fast it can travel. I'm not sure whose stopwatch did that. But I will tell you that light travels, we do know this, much faster than the speed of sound, doesn't it? That's why some people appear to be rather intelligent until they open their mouths. Light is fast. Light is brain-numbingly fast. It travels about 186,000 miles a second, which means if you could run at the speed of life, you could circle the earth about seven and a half times in one second. If you could travel at the speed of light, well, it would take you about eight minutes, 20 seconds to get to the surface of the sun. Light actually travels faster, they've learned, in the vacuum of space than it does when it's going through a medium. Scientists have noted that you can actually slow down the speed of light by passing it through a medium. In fact, one of the ways to slow it down the most is if you pass it through a division of motor vehicles office. Light's important to us. We may not all fully appreciate the differences of corpuscular theory or quantum theory or wave theory, but light is something I think at least all of us understand is important to us, isn't it? We need it. It was the first order of business when God created life. Light. Genesis 1. In the beginning. What was over the face of the earth? darkness. God spoke and said, let there be light. That's how he started it all. There was light. God set into motion the laws of physics as they relate to light, and God made a distinction between day and night. Before there was a sun, before there was a moon, before there were stars, there was light. Think about that for a second. That's kind of hard to grasp, isn't it? Usually when we think of light, we think of it coming from somewhere. We think of there being a source of light because light is the presence of something, isn't it? Darkness is the absence of light. Light is the presence of something where there is nothing. Turn on a flashlight and it's there. You know that it's there. Trust me that it is. It's there, but you really can't see it too well because the lights are on. But what if, through the magic of technology, I could make the lights go off? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And all of a sudden, a flashlight becomes more noticeable because it's in the middle of darkness.
This morning, we're going to take a look at what Jesus said about light and about especially his claim to be the light of the world and the light of life. It's not just some lofty words. Like I said, we're going to see that loving Jesus includes loving what light does to yourself and to the world. The whole story of the Bible, if you look at it from Genesis to the very end, is an unbroken flow. And it occurred to me that there's a very interesting parallel between the very beginning of human history and the beginning of our salvation as the Bible lays it out for us. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we already referred to it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. First three verses of Scripture. When you flip over to the New Testament, at the very beginning of the book of John, John says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That takes care of creation. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Isn't that an interesting parallel, how Genesis and John begin? Whether it's the formless void of earth, ready for God to create and start life, or it is the darkness of the fallen world, waiting for the appearance of our Savior to bring life, when the scene is dark, when you add light to it, things change. Light is that way. We read this I am claim from Jesus John chapter 8, we looked at it just a moment ago. It's in the temple in Jerusalem. That's the context of where Jesus is speaking in John 8. Verse 20 helps us to understand that Jesus is in the part of the temple. If you look at a picture of it, we've got a, a photo of it. He's in the courtyard of the temple, not in the very middle, but in one of the areas of the temple that not everybody could go into. No Gentile could go into this area, but women of Israel could go there. Jesus was there that day, and not in the very deepest part of the temple, but we know that he was there in a location where during the Feast of Tabernacles, there were four huge lampstands that would be set up. And during the feast, part of the ceremony that would go on would be the lighting of these huge lampstands. Think about, they would actually go up on ladders to fill them with oil and light them up. Think about the lighting of the Olympic torch. Something on that scale. Something very significant in the minds of the Israelites. And here was Jesus right in that area of the temple court during the Feast of Tabernacles as sometime around these times that the lights were being lit very ceremoniously, saying to the people who were listening to him, I am the light of the world. Now I want to consider a few ideas about the whole subject of light through the Bible story, and then we're going to wrap up with some ideas of what we're supposed to be doing about that. All right? So here are three simple points about light as we see it in the Bible. Number one, God is light. God is light. 
Like some other descriptive words in the Bible, this is one of the attributes of God that you can find as you dig through Scripture. God is love. God is spirit. God is a consuming fire. God is light. God is described for us as living in unapproachable light, as the one in whom is light, and there is no darkness at all. Sure enough, read it, there is a physical brightness to God that no one could even bear to look at. Kind of like trying to stare at the sun in the middle of summer on a really clear day times a thousand. You just can't do that. We call that brightness, that light of God, God's glory. It's that glory that filled the tabernacle once it was set up to the point where the priests couldn't even go inside because of the glory of God filling it so full. It's that glory of God that rubbed off on Moses so that when Moses spent time with God and came back down from the mountain, his face was glowing. wonder if it kept Mrs. Moses up at night. And one day... In the new Jerusalem of heaven, it tells us in the book of Revelation, there won't be any need for the sun or the moon because the glory of God will light it up. A new light source. So God is literally full of, surrounded by, and covered with light. God is light. But light also is used in a figurative way. Not just that literal way, but a figurative way of describing the perfect purity and the holiness of God. 1 John 1, 5, 7, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Psalm 104 says you are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. James, we referred to this earlier says in James chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. In every sense, in every sense that is good and awesome, God is light. That's the first point. But it doesn't stop there. Scriptures also tell us that God gives his followers light. The physical light of creation was from God for his creation. God didn't need to create light for the earth. We need it. The earth needs it. God didn't need that, but he gives it to us. And just as surely as I walk through a dark room at night, I'm going to locate the hard wooden furniture leg that you can't see because it's dark. My toe will point it out to everybody who wants to know where it is. And it will provide some entertainment for somebody at that moment. That's cheap entertainment at my cost. But it is a good reminder to me that we need light in this world to walk safely and confidently, don't we? We need it. If you go to see a movie in a theater and you step out in the middle of the movie to go get a refill on your jumbo tub of popcorn, shame on you you will notice that there are these little lights along the footway so that you can see where you're walking and don't stumble. That's because the rest of the theater is dark and you need light to help you. 
It's also necessary, light is, for us to be able to see and to distinguish information. How many times have you noticed somebody up on stage during church services doing one of these? Because the light wasn't quite right. Sometimes that's me doing that. Because the light isn't quite right. It's kind of, it's different when you're up here. And I was at my uh, optometrist for an annual visit. And uh, I mentioned to my eye doctor there that I had been having some trouble seeing things, reading. Welcome to the 50s, all right? So I'm, I'm there telling him this, and he does some tests on my eyes, and then he looks at me and he says, you know, the, the problem is not the focus of your eyes. The problem is light. And he handed me something to read, and he said, here, read this. And I'm sitting there, and I just could not read it. I'm stumbling through it. And then he put some light on, and he said, now read it. Oh, what do you know? I do need light. Made all the difference. I need more light than I used to need, I guess so. Once the sun has set, and if there is rain falling, or if both those things are happening and you're driving a car, the law says it's the law. You have to turn on your headlights. It's not just to help you see. It's to help other people see you too. God gave us light because we need it. Psalm 119 says this, that God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What's it talking about? That I should take my Bible to the theater so that when I go out to get a refill of jumbo popcorn, I won't, I won't trip? No. It's talking about figuratively the way that light gives us direction in our choices in life. The light of God's word is something that we need. It's taking the way that light helps us literally to see clearly and to see what's written on a page and to apply it to the way that God's gift of light through his word helps us to see in life what is true and what is holy and what is good. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. It reveals dangers down the road. It's able to save us from death. Amen? It's not by accident that in John, the next chapter, chapter 9, if you want to flip over to it, is all about a man who had been born, get this, blind. He was born blind. Jesus healed him, and then this chapter, this whole story becomes an illustration of the way that Jesus brings light into people's lives, not only literally, but figuratively. John chapter 9, let's start reading there in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man born blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. 
So by the end of this ninth chapter of John, this man, born blind, can physically see, and he is able at that point in his life to spiritually see. And Jesus is pointing out to the Pharisees that even though they physically still can see, spiritually they are blind. And they are rejecting the one who is the light of the world. God gives light to his people. Another way that light is used is this, that life in Jesus is in the light. Life lived in Jesus is in the light. Just as surely as there is such a thing as light and darkness in the physical world, there are elements of light and darkness in the spiritual realm. One of those is the kingdom of darkness. One of those is the kingdom of light. And if you follow after evil, that is walking in darkness. And if you follow after the Lord, that is called walking in the light. John chapter 12 Verse 35. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Light and darkness are just one example of many of the different kinds of contrasts that the Bible uses to describe how there are two groups of people. I've spoken about that many times before. There are two groups. There are always two groups mentioned in Scripture. Lost and found. Saved and not saved. Children of God, children of the devil. Sheep and goats. Of God and of the world. Written in the book of life not written in the book of life. Slaves to sin, slaves to righteousness. With hope, without hope. Children of light, children of darkness. To name a few. And I get the sense when we talk about walking in the light that there are many people who would like to insert a third group somewhere in between light and darkness I guess you'd call them gray. Somewhere there in between. We'd like there to be a gray group, wouldn't we? Is that you? Are you wishing that there was more gray? I'm not talking about hair color here. Are you wishing there was more in between when it comes to life in Jesus? You know, more exceptions, fewer absolutes blurrier lines so that really nobody can ultimately be held responsible for his choices so that nobody could say with certainty this is how you become a follower of Jesus or this is what your thought life should be like or this is something you should never put in front of your eyes or this is how you're supposed to treat people who mistreat you or this should be your first priority in life, or this is how you should take care of people who are facing hardship. Don't you wish there weren't absolutes, instead there were more grays? Darkness and light don't mix well. Jesus didn't speak about grayness. Jesus didn't talk about a third group in the middle. In fact, listen to his description in John chapter 3. You know, after John three sixteen, he kept speaking... 
And it says, this is the judgment, that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And that's why all of this is so important. The character of God is so tied into light. The work and the person of Jesus Christ is so tied into light. The Jesus life that we are called to live is so tied into the whole subject of light that you can't talk about having a relationship with God and not talk about what it means to be a person of light. Following Jesus means you love the light, not darkness. Maybe a good application of that would be just to repeatedly ask yourself, when are we most being like Jesus? When we point ourselves and others to truth or when we allow everything in life to just kind of be gray or dark? When are we most like Jesus? 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. John, still writing. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. Do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Isn't that great news this morning? People who love Jesus Christ are people who love light. If we walk in the light. First century Israel, walking was a big part of life. If you wanted to get somewhere, you walked. That's how you got there. That was much part of that culture. In fact, it was so much a part of that culture. In the New Testament, when it talks about how a person lives, it uses that word, your walk. When the New Testament talks about your walk, it is just talking about how you live your life. It's not talking about your gait. It's not talking about the speed with which you walk. It's talking about your life. We use that word in the same way, not very often. Sometimes, though, it just doesn't mean as much to us because, well, we have cars. <laughs> Maybe we should ask you, how's your drive? Well, here are some important questions to consider about your walk. There's three I'd like to, to wrap up with this morning, all right? And just in the context of of light and walking in the light. Let me ask these three questions and have you ask them of yourself. Number one, where are you walking? Where are you walking? You could look at where literally you are walking. You know, the place where your feet are. Where are you physically going? Are you walking in light or darkness? Sometimes just by where you go, you, you can answer that question. But then, where are you figuratively walking? In your mind, in your mouth, with your eyes, with your plans. Where are you headed? All of that is another indicator of your relationship to God. You can't say that you love him who is light and walk in darkness, says John. There's not a gray. Do you walk in light or darkness? 
Here's the second question. Ask yourself this. Not only where do you walk, but why are you walking there? Because your walk really is about where your heart is, isn't it? You could have walked in the doors here this morning, and it could all be just external. It could all just be for show. What you're physically doing could not really be what's going on inside. Where is your heart? Because wherever your walk takes you this week, you need to ask that question. Why are you there? What's behind your schedule? What's behind your choices? What is behind where your mind goes this week? Why are you walking where you're walking? Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. If you're walking in the light, you're interested in what's good and right and true. You're interested, it says there, in pleasing the Lord. You are interested in that, aren't you? Paul says, walk as children of light. Here's the third question then to ask. Not only where you are walking and why you are walking there, but ask yourself this question, where will your walk end? (laughs) Somebody asked me about the safety of skydiving, and I said, I'm convinced that skydiving is completely safe. It is 100% statistically true that every person who goes up in a skydiving airplane and jumps out comes back down. (laughs) Everyone. And you know what? Every person who starts out on a walk comes to the end of the walk. Nobody ever started walking and never stopped. Every walk comes to an end. It ends somewhere at some time. Your walk in life is not a matter of if it will win, end somewhere. It is a matter of where will it end. Will you be in the light? Will you be walking in the light because you've made the choice to love the light and to love the one who is the light of the world? Because loving Jesus includes loving what light does to you, to yourself, and to the world. And if you're not there yet, you can be. If you're not walking in the light yet, you can be. You can move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We looked at a lot of scripture today that said that that's a possibility for every person. So this morning, if you came in not walking in the light, you can walk out walking in the light. If you came in this morning thinking, hey, I can live in the gray area, you can live with a better understanding of how you're supposed to walk this week. If you haven't ever accepted Jesus Christ, his invitation is for you this morning. We want for you to end your walk walking in the light. That means that you've got to turn there at some point. You've got this opportunity today. You don't have a guarantee that you'll have another. And so we're inviting you on behalf of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, who said, 
while there's still time, while there's still light, make this decision to make that choice today. If you want to become a follower of Jesus, it means acknowledging that the one who said, I am, was right. That he deserves to be Lord in your life and that you're giving your life to him. Turning away from the old way that you've been living and turning to his way to walk in the light. It means this morning you'll be baptized into him, that you'll begin that relationship with Jesus, with this wonderful thing that he has given us. And we're ready for you to do that today. So if that's you, please stand up, everybody, everyone stand up. If that's you this morning, uh, we're going to have a prayer here. We're going to be singing a song. And during this time, uh, we call it invitation time. We call it decision time. It's a time that's appropriate for you to step forward and say, I'm ready to make this decision. Or a time to say, hey, I just need to learn more. And I'm not afraid to let people know that. I'm interested in Jesus. Here I come. I want to learn. That's the time. I'm going to be right here at the front. And we encourage you uh, to step down while we're singing or any time after that here today before we leave. I'm going to pray. Let's, let's do that together. Father, thank you that you give us moments where we can reflect on your word, not just hear it, not just read it, but now be challenged to be doers of it. Lord, I pray that uh, you would shine your light in us now through your word, that we would see clearly your truth, uh, that you would help us to see areas in our life that we need to give over to you, uh, thinking, Lord, that needs to be changed, lives that need to be yielded to you. We invite you to use this moment. We invite you to do a good work in our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.